0: Welcome to the MBUK Podcast. In this series, we'll be looking back through some of the moments that helped shape the sport of mountain biking. From the pioneers that paved the way, bikes that broke the tech boundaries, and the events that pushed the very limits of the sport, to the racers who will be forever cemented in our memories for their antics on and off the track. We'll even do our best to predict how things will look in the future. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your mates. And if you have time, please give us a review. Welcome to another MBUK podcast. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Marvin. Hi, Tom. How's it going, Rob? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Excellent. Good chat. <laughs> and we're joined by MUK staff writer Rachel Bennett. How are you, Rach? I'm
1: very good, Rob.
0: Yourself? I'm good, yeah. I'm really still good. <laughs> Everyone keeps yeah. asking. It's so nice. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, no one else has asked, have they? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> right, today... Now, this should be a good one, I think. So, oh, maybe I've hyped it up too much yeah. already. Ooh, well, okay, lower expectations, just in case. It's going to be all right today. In my head... <laughs> This is going to be a good one. So this is all about the racers who rang in the changes. So some of the most iconic men and women who really made a difference in the sport of mountain biking. We've got some big names on our list. Mm. Absolutely colossal, in fact. So Rach, do you want to kick us off with maybe some of the the ones that stand out to you?
1: Yeah, sure. So for me, Missy Giovi Ooh. is one of the big ones for me. I'd kind of heard of her before I got into mountain biking. Yes, so she was a pretty wild character back in the 90s.
0: Do you remember what she used to ride with hanging around her neck?
1: She had a big...
0: Piranha.
2: Oh, was that her little symbol? Yeah, it's well, like what I mean... it's a like a dried piranha, wasn't it? It was an actual... F- oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: she was wild. <laughs>
2: That's a bit weird. I
0: don't know if she rode
1: with it around her neck.
2: I'm not I've sure. I've seen
1: of her podiums and that with she was, it. On her. She's, like, she's pretty wild,
0: Carl. Yeah. yeah. She's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, she was a unique character and kind of... Brought mountain biking into the mainstream a bit, especially into America. Mm. She was on like chat show, mainstream TV, and just brought a whole new vibe to mountain biking for women, particularly. Yeah. When there wasn't that many women racing at that level, I mean she had Anne Caroline Shoson, which was racing at the same time as her. Yeah. Who obviously was a very good racer, <laughs> mm-hmm. won a lot.
0: But, but arguably more sort of Clean cut, right? Yeah, completely yeah.
1: different. Like. That classic mountain bike vibe of, you know, dirt bags, racing, partying hard. Yeah. Being a bit out there, that's what Missy e brought to the women's side. She encapsulated racing. that perfectly, didn't she? Yeah. And she was really good on the bike and just gave a hundred percent all the time. Like riding with broken bits of her body and yeah. just going full full on, not holding back. Yeah, so for me, she's a big yeah. a big player. She was gnarly. You know,
2: like, yeah. And said, what, 11, 11 wins, two overall World Cup titles.
0: Is that just off the top of your head, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> well, Tom.
2: big Big fan.
0: <laughs> Knew all
2: about the Piranha.
1: World champs as well in 94.
0: Any team managers sponsoring her probably had their work cut out, I would guess. Yeah. But she got a lot of sponsors because because of her
1: character. I yes. Guess. Like big sponsors, like mm-hmm. Volvo, Volvo Cannondale she was on. Yeah. She started off on Yeti, just... They saw her at a race and was like, this this girl's got something. Yeah. And just hooked her up that race there with the bike. And yeah, just went from there.
0: And then she, I think she was on, um, do you remember the global racing team? Yeah. That Martin Whiteley started? And she was the only one that wouldn't ride the orange. She was on a foes, painted up, all painted white. She stayed on a foes. <laughs> oh, really? The whole time, yeah. I never saw it. Maybe she rode an orange for... Uh, Would it have been dual or full cross back then? Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was on the foes
2: for the bulk of that. Okay, yeah. Despite global being sponsored by Orange, right? Yeah,
1: (laughs) she did things her way. Right. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Stuck two fingers up at uh, (laughs) at Halifax. Yeah. (laughs) uh,
0: No thanks. I got this. It works really well. Pivot. (laughs) I got lots of pivots. (laughs) (laughs) She loves bearings.
2: (laughs) 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 Okay, Tom. What about you? Well, I think it's difficult to, you know, as a Brit, as someone who sort of grew up with mountain biking from, you know, the early 2000s onwards, although obviously this particular person was involved from beforehand, Steve Peake. Ooh. Like a massive name. Obviously um, was on MBUK's team. Uh, was on Global as well. No. No. Was on Orange <laughs> there, wasn't he? Yeah. So he not went... Global.
0: Yeah, he kind of went maybe Kona when yeah. he started out. Then... Uh, I want to say he was on the. Uh, did he go with Warner on that? No, I can't remember where he went. Maybe he was on MUK after that, and then he went like full. Oh, he did. Do, he did a stint on Saracen with Warner
2: uh-huh.
0: when they were riding those Valici frames, those so yep. Italian-made bikes, and then yeah, then his MUK, then he went full GT factory team, mm-hmm. then Orange,
2: then Orange, then, then Syndicate. Syndicate, yeah. So you know, as someone who sort of read the mags who, you know, when sort of YouTube came along and videos and all that sort of stuff, like he's obviously kind of encapsulated that carefree attitude of of the era that really sort of appealed to me as a 13, 14, 15-year-old, you know, like maybe you'd look back and think, oh, I don't know, but like he's pretty cool. Pretty cool, he you know.
0: A, yeah, he's a cool guy.
2: A loud guy, you know, big personality, but also backed up with plenty of results that really sort of cemented him as not only like one of the coolest mountain bikers, but also one of the best mountain bikers on the planet. Without a doubt. Not quite the GOAT because, you know, Minar, but, <laughs> you know, up there. And now, even now, it's still totally relevant. You know, he's at all the races with Syndicate, you know, like helping run the team, helping coach the riders. So he's still involved at a really high level and he's sort of stayed the, stayed the time, remained sort of influential for what, 20 odd years now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's won a lot of races so I think it's 17 World Cup wins mm-hmm three overalls. Mm -hmm. Warner was obviously the first Brit to win a World Cup, Mm -hmm. but then a couple of years after Steve managed to win one in the US, which was really, like, it was massive at the time. It was so competitive. There was, I mean, you could argue it's more competitive now, but, you know, when there was so much on the line, so much money back then, Mm -hmm. um, it was amazing to see him win. And then, a bit like Gwynn, He kind of went without the rainbow strikes for so long, and then finally, after a really strong season, he went to Australia, and in 2009, managed to clinch it just over, just beating Minner, in fact, yeah, by a whisker,
2: just by a whisker,
0: (laughs) a whisker. It was it was very emotional. It was very good. Yeah, amazing race to watch. Yeah.
2: Yeah, always loved following. Always loved seeing what he did. I actually interviewed him for the Bike Radar podcast. Um, did you? Yeah, yeah. Back when the Bike Rider podcast kicked off, what two and a half years ago or something? Yeah, I did an interview him when I went on a Santa Cruz fifty ten launch.
0: That might be the only podcast he's on. Really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, you got the scoop. I think. Oh. I'm pretty sure. I hope we published only, it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's the only one he's on. I'm going to triple check that we actually published it, and if we did, it'll be in the, in the notes <laughs> in, the, in the podcast notes. Because uh, yeah, we recorded uh, an interview with him yeah great guy he's oh, lovely yeah. as well like this thing like you get this big personality you get this big persona you sort of think oh like maybe it's not that approachable maybe it's a bit you know like oh, but actually legit super nice guy
0: and that's the thing everyone's there because they want to ride bikes yeah and they are you know so you've always going to have that in common mm. and yeah he's, he's a genuinely lovely bloke really really nice guy mm. just because we've got so many to get through mm. I'm going to just jump to I suppose you could call him Steve's nemesis yeah. Nico Vulios. Yeah. The man who may be, may be the most methodical downhill racer of all time. The kind of chalk and cheese those two maybe. Yes. Steve very much that, you know, stick any bike underneath him and he's going to make it work. Whereas mm-hmm. Nico was very particular about his setup. Worked really hard with Olivier Bossard and, and the Sun guys originally to to really, you know.
1: Because he was an engineer as well, wasn't he?
0: I don't know if he's got any formal training. like So Fabian... Does have a degree in mechanical engineering and was very okay. keen to kind of approach it like that, but I think Nico's very much just sort of learning on the job. And that guy, I mean, Jesus, 10, 10 world championship titles, five overall titles. No, you know, they called him the alien. He's, you know, he didn't speak a lot of English. So when he was interviewed for a lot of the mainstream media, it mm. was very few words said. He just kind of went out there and would just, you know dominate the races. Yeah. His his really calculated style, very clinical in how he approached mm-hmm. everything, serious amounts of testing, like next level amounts of testing, working yeah. on everything from suspension setup to spoke tension, you know, changing the geometry of the bike. They would they were plowing tons and tons of cash into it back then. So he could create the ultimate race winning bike. Mm-hmm. Um and as long as it lasted for a race run, that's all that mattered. Yeah. And then you know, he, he went down and managed to uh, finish his career in mountain biking and move on to become a WRC driver, Yeah, which is incredible, and then got back into bikes working for Lapierre.
2: Yeah, and also appeared on the Bike Radar podcast in an interview I did with him a few years ago. Oh, <laughs> all the big names. Theme. All the big names. There's
0: a theme. <laughs> so yeah, bit of a bit of a legend and yeah really nice guy as well
2: yeah he is yeah
0: yeah super nice guy we've and we've done some stuff with him in the past haven't we not we? Apart of the podcast
2: yeah but you see him on like a on a Lapierre launch and he's obviously so very involved in the development of those bikes yes. it's kind of like it's not like a moonlight career it feels like a real career for him to sort of continue on and oh he's and so
0: invested in it mm. and um you know when he was dabbling with the EWS, EWS stuff um when it kind of kicked off You could see it just sort of reignited that racing passion. He's so obviously unbelievably competitive. Yeah, I was in, in fact, I was in Gilles Lapierre's office after one of the rounds of the EWS. Mm -hmm. And while we were there, Gilles turned his computer around and said, look, Nick has just sent a debrief from the weekend over, just pages and pages of notes on the bike's performance, how the suspension operated, the tyres, all of this stuff, reams and reams and reams of information, having just, you know, walked off the podium Mm -hmm. where i'm sure many pros would just be like right what's next get training Mm -hmm. all of this nico was so sort of development driven Mm -hmm. always looking to optimize to create any kind of possible gain yeah and and maybe maybe there's there's a few of them still out there but he nico stood out as as the early adopter you know everyone called him the alien Mm -hmm. because he was so otherworldly when it came to his riding and his approach. Yeah. Now, we can't really talk about Nico without mentioning Anne-Caroline Chosun-Rach. You, you already did sort of uh, allude to her earlier. Yeah. But she had a she's... hell of a track record, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Arguably the most successful woman mountain biker. I mean, Rachel Atherton obviously is up there as well. But yeah, winning 12 World Cup downhill champions, five World Cup overalls. A big player in slalom and BMX as well, winning Olympic.
2: 2008 Olympics.
0: Yeah, Beijing. That can't be an easy transition either.
2: No. You see it a lot, BMX to track because of the power. Yeah. And, you know, smooth hmm. surfaces.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hell of a Hell of a shift. And she
1: seemed to be, like we said before, quite straight laced in terms of training and pushing yeah. the sport to the next level in that mm-hmm. sense. I mean, she wanted to win and that was her drive and she did everything. That she could to do so.
2: A bit like the French version of um, when we've talked about a number of times, Tracer Mosley. Yes, similar sort of. You know, mm. Palmares is up there with the best. Very performance orientated. And I guess if we're talking, you know, super successful French women, you know, not well. Actually, I've added to this list. Pauline Ferrand Prevost. Yeah. You know, yeah. huge like influence in modern day mountain biking. She really is like
1: a th- multi-disciplinary multidis- as well. Yeah. There. I mean,
2: cyclocross. Cross country, you know, like seems to win anything she can turn a hand to. Rides on the road yeah, as well, rude. a bit of everything.
0: But we gotta go back and talk about Tracy quickly. We though, do right? have to go back and talk about Tracy, <laughs> just because not only do we need to talk about how um, successful she was, mm-hmm. but the other stuff she's done, which is you know almost just as important. Yeah. So bringing on the likes of Evie Richards and Hattie Harndon, to name just a couple, showing that. It's really, you know, it's really good to diversify your riding, to mm. experience and mix it up, and do different types in mm. order to make you a better-rounded rider. Yeah, um, Hattie's an, an extremely good example. Who, you know, she's a rider that's started in cross-country and cyclocross, and you know, a bit roady, and then has now transitioned over, having dabbled with enduro. I
2: mean, that was just and one now enduro, and now <laughs>
0: she's and now she's out, you know, getting on the podium in downhill.
2: Yeah. It's incredible, like incredible sort of early career already. Yeah, exactly. And and
0: similarly, you know, Evie Riches got a world champs title to mm. her name, won world cups, started racing on you know the farm with Tracy. Well, or or at least on a around Malvern where, where Tracy is based, uh, at a local race, mm. and, and you know Tracy took her under her wing and and has helped her develop and coached her, and yeah, it's it's an amazing achievement yeah what Tracy, you know what Tracy's got there,
2: and I think you know Tracy's really multifaceted you know we we sort of came into tra- talking about Tracy because of how successful you know some of you know ankara was, <coughs> and we've ended up talking about some of the races that Tracy has sort of bought under a wing from the g b perspective, but you know like we said in previous podcasts or other podcasts in the series, she has worked on bike development, she's sort of really pushed the sport of endure in its early days, you know she was one of the you know the founding sort of Big names of enduro and and sort of tackled it in a different way to many people. You know whether she was racing on a, a shorter travel bike because she recognised that there were big days and she needed to stay. You know as much as having a few extra mil of travel is going to make you faster downhill. So is feeling fresh. Yeah. So you know really sort of developed the sport of enduro as uh, as well.
0: Yeah, and she was never. She was one of the ones that would always carry a backpack full of yeah kit to fix bikes, and she was always fixing other people's bikes for. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's brilliant. Um, should we wind it right back to a couple of the OGs from um, over in the US? John Tomac. Mm. We've got we've got to mention John because um, I mean he was one of the he was one of the people a bit like Missy for you I think. Rach mm. Tomac was just cool. Yeah, proper Stars and Stripes, America. Americana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know he had. Uh, my earlier memories of him was when he rode for Rally on that old uh, what was it like? Um, Tie lug steel uh, sort
2: of mm-hmm. carbon rally uh, and carbon tubes, titanium lugs. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he had the Troy Designs paint job on mm-hmm. his Bell Image helmet. Then he got the Troy Peak disc drive, disc drive, Toyota disc drive, drop bars. Well, this was that was that before was that was before. That was on the Yeti, I think. But Tomat was cool. He yeah. was so cool. So he was he was a BMXer, he got into road racing, very successful at road racing, and then came across into mountain biking where he was one of the few riders that were able to compete very successfully at world level across downhill and cross country. Mm-hmm. Which you imagine that now. Yeah. No, I, don't, I mean, I don't think hmm. maybe Pidcock could give Pidcock. it a credit. Maybe.
2: Maybe Wout Van Art if he actually tried at mountain biking. Yeah. And yeah, pauline, I guess, yep,
0: pulling, said. Of course. Yeah. but he was obviously a rare talent back then, mm. but yeah he he properly like Missy, kind of took it to the wider audience and by doing so he made it look cool he, he yeah he was he was cool,
2: definitely iconic, you know if you look yeah. back at you know if if you want to research early mountain bike or early mountain bike racing, his name and his images will pop up consistently, and his name consistently has popped up in in our podcast series because he's been so influential on the way the bikes he rode the kit he he used
0: yeah exactly and also he must have been one of the first riders to start having signature parts Mm. you know he had signature tyres saddles all of this sort of stuff so yeah he he clearly sort of stamped his authority and his dominance on it Mm -hmm. to a certain degree and he went on to create his own bike brand yeah which was cool and yeah again lovely guy
2: yeah and a nice segue Rob Because if we're talking about, you know, brands and and people who've created their own bike brand, this is a modern sort of development of the brand. But the Athertons, multiple, because this is themselves, like, you know, they've got their own logo as like a family with their own logo. I mean, not many people have them. I don't have one. Yet. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the Athertons, you, you can't talk, you know mountain biking dynasties or legends or family names without mentioning the most successful family of mountain bikers absolutely so g atherton downhill racer rampage crazy man you've got (laughs) dan atherton you know builder of a bike park who sent massive lines and of course Rach atherton you can't talk about mountain bike without mentioning her she's like the absolute legend of the sport over a very long time now
0: Rachel, what do you know about the Athertons? What's your first memory of those guys?
1: Well, Rachel, she was a big one when I started getting into mountain biking. Yeah. Like 2015-ish. Yeah, she was just winning everything. And like my first, when I went to the World Cup at uh, Fort William, when I think her and G won 2013 maybe, Mm. when they both won. That's like my first memory of... Oh, cool. That's like, yeah, she's... They mean business. She's a... Yeah, good rider. Yeah, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's all got right. she's got a pretty good name Talent. as well. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also they're like um, the Atherton Project, which I think must have been one of the early sort
0: of Clay uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was which cool. kind
1: of yeah let you know about them as people, not just races, mm-hmm. not just mountain bikers. Which yeah made mountain biking look a lot of fun for sure in my early days of
0: getting into the sport. Yeah, that was an insightful sort of window into mm. professional life as those three yeah. crazy cats
2: i think my first sort of the first place i came across the three of them was it was an mbuk like we talk about mbk a lot but you know it influenced a lot of people's you know you know my riding especially influenced all that but there's a there's a feature in the mag about this family of mountain bikers and there were two two brothers who were a little bit older really good and then and they had this this sister called Rach who was showing loads of promise, And I think Kelly salone maybe <laughs> gave Rach an identity frame or something maybe. like that. And there's a whole feature about the three of them. And you know, I think Rach must've been like, I think Rach is maybe a year or two older than me. So maybe 14 or 15 or something like that. And I sort of, from there it sort of stuck, you know how like, um, Jackson Goldstone, there's that video years ago, this little kid, just like doing loads of whoops and little things, and it, it turns out it's Jackson Goldstone. Like, that for me was my rage after moment. Uh, okay.
0: Really yeah. cool. They, I remember seeing him at, uh, I think it was a national race, down, I mean, it was not a very good track, down in Somerset, mm-hmm. which is where they lived at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have been in the same category as Dan, we were both in juniors, I guess, and she would have been youth. Rachel wasn't riding. But I just remember this big dude smoked me by miles. <laughs> I was like, right, who's that then? Yeah. And then, and then it turned out he was smoking me and everyone else. Yeah. Week in, week out. I was like, right, that's, that's Dan Atherton. Right. <laughs> excellent. Right. And then and then they all moved up to North Wales mm-hmm. to go and ride harder terrain. Yeah. And by, you know, 2004, G had won his first World Cup, mm-hmm. Schladman. And there was all this sort of legend built up around their place up north mm-hmm. where one of our old teammates used to go and ride with G and he said like you just you try to you know it's impossible to ride the tracks they dug without just crashing your brains out huh. he said they were that hard you're just hanging on for dear life and you know anytime you think you kind of had got it you'd go back again a few weeks later and what was sort of semi-ridable they've gone oh do you know what we've dug this like 50 foot step down into a 90 degree corner now yeah. try and ride that and then everyone would just kind of ragdoll down that and, yeah That's how much they were trying to push things on. And you can sort of see, you know, people always say, oh, you know, it's because of her brothers that she did so well. But the reality is, Rach is an amazing rider. It isn't just, I'm sure G and Dan helped in terms of they were that sort of catalyst. But, you know, you need to give Rach the kudos she Mm -hmm. deserves because she's an incredible rider. And God, if she can ride all that stuff and the stuff in Duffy Bike Park, Jesus Christ. Yeah
2: fair play should we talk about where the athertons are right now as like as as a family because obviously we talked about them going back 10 15 years but you know right now they're still hyper relevant so oh yeah totally Rach's come back she's a mother she came back to race downhill to see you know and and kind of won like (laughs) yeah all right okay Uh, (laughs) just the 40 wins yeah like that you know that in itself ridiculously impressive really um you've got g who obviously has had a, a couple of big crashes but every time bounced back and, you know, he's just been at Rampage. And, okay, like, he's built some, he built a crazy line. And, okay, like, he's, he's hurt himself again, but just keeps coming back for more. Yeah. But then as a, as a brand themselves, they've got, you know, Dan's been building W Bike Park, which is, you know, one of the UK's, like, I guess it's one of the best bike parks around, really. Like, yeah. it's for progression of what's possible on a mountain bike in the UK. And, you know, Hardline? <sighs> <laughs>
0: jesus yeah i mean how many people want to go and ride that
2: i don't want to no I don't <laughs> want so i'm all right thanks would would ride their bikes though and that's it, that's the yes. next part of the story right yeah they've got they've got the riding they've got the races they've got the family they've got the bike park they've also got a bike brand and, and a really innovative one at that it's not and they've
0: also got to be the only family that have won three races at the same weekend in 2008 they won Men's Downhill, Women's Downhill and Dan won Forecross. Forecross, yeah. In one weekend. Wow. Which, I mean, is that ever going to happen again? Probably not. Can't see it. That's a very, very talented family.
2: Very talented family. It's more talented.
0: than me and my brother are going to do. Yeah. I'll tell you
2: that. <laughs> more than me and my sister are going to do. She can barely <laughs> run a bike.
0: <laughs> right, where should we move to next? Maybe should we talk about Julie Furtado? Mm. She's a very important person um, from the racing world, but, but has kind of, a little bit like the Athertons. Post racing moved on and, and kind of done her own thing. Who wants to kick off about that then?
1: Yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah. Go, go for Another it. Another strong woman to yeah. get me talking about. Uh, yeah, so she, I mean, started off skier, just a general outdoor, mm. gnarly, fast woman, mm-hmm. and then onto bikes. And yeah, she was racing world champs, multiple world champ winner, World Cup overalls. And then. I guess after that, she was just passionate about bikes and led her into designing women specifically. I don't know if she found that she didn't have products that suited her, which led her into the, the designing of bikes. And Santa Cruz, well, Juliana, as we all know, is the Santa Cruz offshoot for the women's mm. specific, and that's named after after her. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just bikes, like products as well. I guess clothing, saddles and that sort of yeah wider aspect of mountain biking
0: i guess it's always been a very male-dominated arena in terms of uh, bike design and stuff like that and I, I suppose maybe she could just see the benefit of doing stuff properly for women mm. and the benefits that that would bring and and thankfully santa cruz were smart enough to pick up on that and roll with it and now we've got One of the coolest brands out there, regardless of whether it's for Mm. men or women, it's a it's a seriously like for like the the Juliana brand is cool.
1: I mean, you've got Live as well, yeah. And other brands have dabbled in it, but a specific line for women, yeah. Her and well, Juliana and Live, I guess, are the two Mm. the two that are still standing.
2: It was with the best colors as well, and was really bitter.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. They they do it well. They do do it well.
1: She's also a big advocate of speaking out about mental health. Uh like talking about her struggles okay and like getting people saying it's all right to talk about it and it's good because racing especially for races it can be quite a mental battle i
0: guess
1: Mm. and there's a lot of pressure yeah and also afterwards like what do you do when you've been a professional just athletes in general yeah professional athletes life is very i can imagine it's very lonely at times
0: very yeah, hard. Very you, hard. Yeah, and when you stop. Yeah, and I, I
1: know Steve Pete mentioned that when he stopped racing, he was like, "Now, what am I going to do now?" Yeah, <laughs> like, right. That's mm-hmm. all you've done all your life.
0: Is your identity, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty hard to to move on from that.
2: Okay, well, we've we've talked a lot about Northern Hemisphere riders because there's a lot of us, <laughs> but shall we flip hemispheres and talk about one of the most I mean, I've oversaid the word iconic. I've said that word so many times, but I'm trying to think. I need a thesaurus for another word for iconic. But um, we can't think of any between us right now. Rob's shaking his head. Rach is looking at me blankly. Um, Really cool. Uh, I've said that too much. You said that too much. Steezy? steezy, Steezy rider. Oh, <laughs> wow, Steezy maybe, but Sam Hill. Oh, man. like well, He's got to be Steezy, foot out, flat pedals. the original out. Steezy. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. So, uh yeah, Sam Hill, someone who, you know, is Aussie from down under, you know, maybe not the world's most visible sort of continent to come from, but made a massive splash in the world of downhill with some incredible runs that we've talked about in other episodes of this podcast, like... Oh, oh, damn it! An that iconic again. Oh. Just incredible moments from mountain biking. Who then transferred um, over to the new world of enduro, and once again, quite literally, stamped his stealth-clad feet into that <laughs> well, world very as well. Nice. I like that. That's, yeah, that, good, yeah. that? <laughs> I just yeah. made that up on the spot. Yeah.
0: Five ten. I love that.
2: Yeah,
0: they yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that as a soundbite. <laughs> Please um, make sure you uh, address your cheque to Tom Marvin.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sam Hill. Sam Hill. He really started to. I, I suppose, coming to the limelight around sort of 2003 when he was riding for Intense. I'm not sure if it was that same year he won a Junior World Champs title. And then not long after that, he signed up and was part of... Maybe it was before then he was on Intense. Yeah, maybe it was before then because he was on the Iron Horse Madcats team with Nathan Rennie, and mm-hmm. Rennie won the World Cup overall in 2003. So yes, it was before that he was on Intense. And then... Um, yeah, riding with Bryn Atkinson, um, Nathan Rennie and him doing, you know, like it's hard for Aussies, right? They have to basically pack up and yeah. ship off for six months of the year to be largely in Europe or North America. And, and that was when the Norba Race Series was huge in America. So spent a lot of time in the US. And, you know, Sam was and still is very quiet, softly spoken, doesn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But then on a bike is an absolute monster. Yeah. Just you know, he's, he's known best for probably his, the way in which he approaches racing. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being in, um, Fort William on the chairlift going up and you see him just everyone else charging, riding as hard as they could. And Sam would be sort of getting a bit steadier, pulling over, having a little look, taking his time, very, very much, you know, sort of a steady sort of approach, very thoughtful. And then he would pull out lines that no one else had seen. Mm. And he, and I mean, he, you know, even when you get to see some of his stuff in Enduro, he'd be doing exactly that. Yeah. Drifting insides and doing different things that no one else maybe thought was possible or, or just thought there's no way I can carry enough speed. Mm-hmm. So I won't do it. But then Hill would come through of his flat pedals, like Ray said, and just hang a foot out and yeah. destroy a turn. Yeah. And, and get people just baffled as to how on earth he was doing any of it. And, um, you know, he won tons of stuff. And in the downhill races, he, some of the hardest downhill tracks he would win by nearly 10 seconds. Yeah. Which is unheard of. But also he's so mentally strong. As soon as he sort of sets his mind to something, it, it was hard to sort of shake him. You know, you'd hear all these things about him during practice where he's kind of just made his mind up that he's going to go and win. And then right. he kind of follows through and does it. <laughs> we are in Pila uh there was the world cup there in 2005 luke was racing luke marshall who we worked with and uh sam was coming back from a broken elbow Mm -hmm. so a pretty nasty injury and i think people had sort of written him off because the track was gnarly the track was really tough smoked everyone and you know eight weeks off the bike and he just come back and just absolutely annihilated the competition and it was it was that and you know he did similar in 2010 in mount st Anne. Mm -hmm. came back having not won a whole lot had knee surgery and wasn't really riding, and then came back and won another world champs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible rider, and just an absolute killer on a bike.
2: And he's still someone who has, you know, holds huge sway in mountain biking at the moment. He's been around 20, 20 years or so. He came back and he did a spot of downhill this year, and you know, might not have sort of set the world alight in terms of results, but you know, set social media, alight, set though. social media alight. And like, you know, everyone was talking about him. You've got, you know, we sort of chatted in another podcast about how. You know, he's got his shoes, he was one of the first to, you know, yeah. he's got the shoes that have got his name and he's got knee pads, you know, like, he's really, despite maybe not being the most out there character in some respects, he's certainly made a name for himself in, in multiple ways. So really made a success of being a mountain biker.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, um, it was just always amazing to see how quick he could turn his hand to a new track, didn't matter what the venue was, where people would say, well, you can't do well because you're on flat pedals, mm. like Rotorua and 2006 there was a huge sprint mm-hmm. and he still goes out and wins
2: yeah
1: you've not got him on the bike bike radar podcast no 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 not not yet
2: not yet <laughs> one, to <tick laughs> one, on. to on. one to tick on to tick on to tick on
1: i think i'm going to jump in here with an xc because i'm oh, quite oh, quite oh, yeah, into yeah. my xc at the moment um yeah thomas Frishnick. Ooh. um a bit of a pioneer i guess in the xc world i mean he was pretty successful back in his day and He's one of the first Europeans to head over to the States and do pretty well over there mm-hmm. on the scene. Um, before, mountain biking was really super big in Europe. I mean, they had the road, which was a big thing over here. And s- he started off in cyclocross. But yeah, I went over there. He's an Olympic silver medalist. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite get the gold, but, you know, can't have everything.
0: No. Um, Maybe he's your big comeback. Yeah. <laughs> Paris 2024.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and got world champs wrecked retrospectively because that was back in the day when XC was kind of just become an Olympic sport and with that the whole I guess cycling and performance enhancing drugs uh, was quite big so he yeah he got silver to mm-hmm. someone who then later admitted four years later I think potentially admitted he was on the on the gear mm-hmm. so he never got to wear his rainbow stripes which that's a shame in it? XC yeah, yeah. Um, but he did get to world champs in xcm marathon okay
0: okay so
1: i guess that made up for it a little bit
0: yeah and he's a massive part of the scott shram team he runs the
1: yeah show, right? like super influential in the success of nino Schurter. he yeah. is yeah the most successful male xc rider i think ever yeah with yeah numerous wins. wins yeah and numerous. just took the just took the overall again at the age of 37 which is pretty impressive.
2: I mean, maybe that's a name that um, we definitely did put on our planning sheet to talk about. Sure. Nino. Nino. (laughs) You can't talk about cross-country mountain biking without mentioning Nino. Like, we we say Minar's the goat of downhill, Nino's the goat of XC, right? He's won everything going. Not only does he win, you know, XC Olympic, he's also popping off down to South Africa and uh, the Cape Epic. win the Cape yeah. Epic, which is a completely different <laughs> yeah. sport almost, you know? And he'll yeah. send like a, a cool little Euro table as he does it.
0: And how many how many World titles has that guy won now?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think fun. it's
0: 10, yeah. Ten?
2: Yeah.
1: <sighs> which is madness.
0: To train at that level for that long. Hard yeah. work.
1: And with the way the sport's going, you've got likes of Tom Pidcock yeah. and... Yeah, Matthias Fluckiger and all these, mm. I guess, slightly younger. <laughs> Almost <laughs> and he's half still, his age. Yeah, he's Bloody still youth. like, yeah, killing it on the world circuit.
0: What a dude, speaking of slightly older gentlemen, all right, we probably need to mention Sean Palmer. Okay. His ride in 96, the Ken's World Champs. I remember I had the post, I, well, I cut the page out of the magazine and stuck it my wall. Uh-huh. It was, I mean, he was one of the first guys out there to not wear a skin suit which was kind of refreshing at the Mm -hmm. time. Not that wearing a skin suit was a terrible thing, but it was just different. It was just different to see someone in a pair of vans and Fox cross baggy clothing. And he obviously left the peak on his helmet, which Mm -hmm. was kind of nice. (laughs) (laughs) No one likes a bullet. (laughs) (laughs) So that was really cool to see. And then, you know, his outspoken sort of party hard, race hard, ride hard attitude spilled over and kind of really cemented his name in the sport and what i think some people sort of forget is that he only ever won one world cup he never got a world champs title anything like that but just one world cup in 99 in big bear which he was actually wearing a skin suit for (laughs) (laughs) but um you know he was like falling out with his sponsors and um he would uh i remember he I think he had a falling out with Fox, who was sponsoring for clothing at the time. He just wore jeans with specialised written down the side at one uh, four-cross race hmm. down in Plymouth, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I think his influence on the sport and how it changed just the look of things mm-hmm. is definitely worth including him in this yeah. list. And, and you know, and if off the back of that, not necessarily directly related, but, we've, you know, we've spoken about Aaron Gwynn as well, but generally his just sort of, consistency and professionalism yeah upped things even more and you know we we sort of we've spoken in other podcasts about how riders go out and make money you know when signing with YT as a frame only and then bringing in all these other endorsements mm-hmm. from elsewhere made him a serious amount of cash and yeah. it also sort of opened other riders eyes as to there's more to it than just signing for a bike brand and that's mm-hmm. kind of everything so he, he definitely deserves a mention. Yeah. And maybe before we wrap up, you wanted to mention one more person, Tom.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't think we can talk about, you know, famous or, I guess, riders who have cemented their place. don't really know how to sort of put it, really, but you, you can't really talk about mountain biking and, and sort of our heroes of the sport without sort of talking about Stevie Smith. Yeah. yeah. Who... You know, was a, a massive name in mountain biking and downhill racing. You know, one of the most popular guys on the circuit, popular with both people who are racing, but also with the fans, who sort of sadly passed away uh, and is still, you know, really remembered across you know, across the paddock, across mountain biking as a whole, as sort of, you yeah, know, one of the good guys.
0: And push Canadian downhill. Mm. Really showed what was possible, I think. I mean, obviously they had a, a big scene anyway. Mm-hmm but maybe hadn't necessarily cut it at the pointy end in terms of the racing mm-hmm. consistently anyway and um yeah his his battle with Gatherton Atherton yeah. for the overall series has to go down in history as one of the most exciting seasons mm. all the way down to the line you know when the pressure was really on he seemed to properly rise to it
2: yeah
1: yeah you've got Finn and Jackson that yeah sort of dedicate their wins to him now because yeah. they yeah. were like i guess up and coming when he was at the height and someone a canadian for them to look up to
0: yeah same as mark wallace and miranda miller mm. that you know they they always like stevie is an inspiration and someone that's helped in their careers yeah so yeah sadly he's he's no longer with us but obviously his um his legacy lives on
2: yeah you can't sort of talk about MSA without talking about him the Steve Smith drop yes. Finn's win last year like I'm not much of an emotional man but <laughs> yeah totally And then there was onions this, being cut in the room yeah then Jackson's, Jackson's this year yeah, and Jackson's this year oh my yeah. gosh
0: yes brilliant well thank you guys and on that note uh, we're going to wrap up thank you so much for listening as ever please stay tuned for future MBUK podcasts cheers guys thank you thank you thank you